Welcome to Ikoyi Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast services. Listen and be blessed. Amen. Amen. I'd like us to flip open our outline as we look at what God has for us. Today, we'll be speaking on the topic, the man God uses. The man God uses. And I'm trusting the Lord and I'm praying that every one of us will become usable for the useful task that the Lord would have us do for him in his kingdom in Jesus' name. We have read from the word of God and the word of God we read reminded us that some brethren came from Judah and the moment they came from Judah to see Nehemiah. Nehemiah quickly asked a very pertinent question. Nehemiah was not in any mood for felicitation. Nehemiah was not in any mood for the exchange of pleasantries. Nehemiah was not in any mood for them to begin to play around unnecessary corners. Nehemiah was very quick. Nehemiah was very direct. Nehemiah hit the bull's eye. Nehemiah said it as it should be said. Please, how far with my people and how far with the city of God? Upon the question that was asked, myriads of issues were raised. And those issues that were raised was that our brethren who escaped, they are in grave danger. They are suffering. So many things are wrong with them. They have gone through one calamity to the other. It appears as though there is a recurring decimal of problem over their lives. They have been challenged. They have been troubled. They have been pushed. They have been pressed. Their situation is very bad. Sir, not only that, even the city where they are living is nothing to write home about. It's a rubble as I speak with you. There are no more, no more wars. No more wars. Not even is it that there are no more wars. Gates have been broken. The Bible says when the man of God had it, when Nehemiah had it, he broke down in tears. The Bible says he sat down, wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. This is the message for this morning. So if you understand that that is what the scripture said, as I read the word, as we go through the outline, I will be living the journey and the events that happened many years ago. And I'll be bringing it to our today life. So as we begin to read the outline, we will journey away from the past and begin to dwell and deal with contemporary matters. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Please journey with me as we go through our outline. Last Sunday, God continued his transformation agenda with us as he reminded us through his servants that he is speaking. Today, the Lord will be drawing our attention to the subject of the one he can use. God, in all his rebuilding process, is always looking for men, men he can trust. In fact, he is in constant search for holy men. Men who can be trusted, dependable, 
separated and consecrated men. Can I be very quick to tell you that more urgently, in the face of the devastating attack on the Christian faith and the worrisome lukewarmness that is breathing down on some believers, God is in their need of men that he can use. Can I tell you the categories of men that God wants to use this morning? God is looking for a boy who can give up his five loaves of bread and two fishes so that men will not faint for hunger. According to as is written in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, the Bible told us that after people gathered, Jesus had spoken, and they were all there. The Bible said Jesus saw them, they were fainting for hunger. And Jesus quickly said, how can we feed these people? And the disciples, they quickly answered him that there is no way we can feed these people. There are too many. The number is alarming. But thank God for one of the disciples who quickly said, but sir, I can locate in the midst of the people a small boy who has five loaves of bread, two fishes. I don't know what that can do, but I sense by the calling of God upon your life, by the grace of God upon your life, something can be done. The Bible says in verse 9, there is a lad here who has five belly loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? It is a lad that God is looking for. God is not particularly interested in looking for a strong man. God is not particularly looking for an established man. God is looking for any man who will present himself as a lad and say, Lord, I have five loaves of bread and two fishes. Not only that, God is also looking for a fisherman who will surrender his boats for the work of missions and evangelism. Remember Simon, two boats were there. Jesus entered into the boat of Simon and began to minister and teach the people. How many of you will surrender your boat and say, Lord, if you are going to use anybody beyond the fish and the bread I will give, I will surrender my boat. Lord, is it my car you need? I release it. Lord, is it my house you need? I release it. Lord, is it the boat of my life? I release it. These are the men that God can use. The third one. Is, it, is there a Simon in the house who will bear the cross to Golgotha? According to Matthew chapter 23, 27, verse 32. Now as they came out, they found a man of Syrian, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. When I was preparing and I was studying, I said, I wonder how much my master Jesus had suffered at this point. At this point, I want to guess he had no more strength to carry the cross. He was not carrying a plastic cross. He was carrying a wooden cross. He had journeyed, not only journeyed with the strength of a man who ate, but he had journeyed after being beaten, after being flogged, after being rejected, and he was carrying it. At a point, my master could go no further. At a point, my master stopped at the point. I want to guess they would have constrained him to continue going. But at that point, no more strength to continue. No more strength. So the master just lied there with a cross over him. And he discovered that, ah, if we continue to push this man, he will not move. Because physically, medically, no more strength. 
and they looked for somebody who they could compare. And they quickly looked. I'm praying God that beyond my ability to willingly give my boots, may the Lord also compel me such that at any point in time, even when I am sleeping and the Lord compels me to wake, I will wake up and get involved in the work of the master. And that was how our brother took over the cross and carried it to Golgotha. My God, I am waiting the day we will get to heaven so that we can begin to understand the implications of some of these things some of these men did. And he carried the cross for my master to Golgotha. And when he got there, they hung the cross and my master went and stayed there. We are looking for men who will prepare us for the final sacrifice that will welcome and usher in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Men who will be ready to die. Men who will be ready to say, I lay my life on the altar. If it has to do with the rebuilding of the broken wall, I will lay my life. I will carry the cross to the point of crucifixion. We are trusting God for such men. And we need an Isaiah of our days who will say, here am I. Send me. You know, pastor, in Isaiah 6 verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send? I know we go for us. And I said, here am I. Send me. Pastor, you have not mentioned my own case. You have not mentioned, my own is not giving money. My own is not giving food. My own is not carrying the cross. Pastor, my own is not leaving my boots. All these ones I have done. Is there any other thing I can give? I have not mentioned it. It's okay. I am like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Lord, before I even hear the assignment, I am available. The grace of God will be available for me to do the assignments. I am trusting the Lord for men who will give themselves up even before hearing the assignments. And say, if it is about the kingdom of God, I am ready for it. Can we journey for that? Please, let us go to the inquiry. The message this morning is broken into three major parts, apart from the introduction and the conclusion, the inquiry. Let us read verse 2. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Can I tell you the first thing God looks out for whenever he is looking for a man that he can use? What the first thing God looks for is a man who can bear the burden. God looks out for a man that can bear the burden. God is looking at his church. He's looking at everybody. He's sizing our capacity. He's looking at how much we have heart for him and his work. He's wondering, who can bear this burden I am conceiving? Throughout generation, dispensation to dispensation, God is always unleashing, unleashing ideas, vision in the church. But oftentimes, this vision, these ideas, they go unattended to because there is nobody to carry the burden. So whenever God wants to use a man, he looks out for a man who can carry the burden. And I saw in this scripture, I saw how God began to work out the issue of a man who can carry his burden. 
whenever God sets out to use a man, he begins by steering in the man a holy passion, unquestionable tests for transformation, genuine hunger for change, and unquantifiable drive for sanity and sanctity. That is evidenced in verse 2 that we just read. Our brother just came. He said, look, people of God, as you have come, I am not interested in asking you, how are you? I have seen you. I am not particularly carried away by how you are looking at me. I have seen you. But I am concerned about my own brothers that I have not seen. I am concerned about the holy city of Jerusalem. How are they? How are my people? How is the city? Whenever God wants to use a man, he begins to create a desire. He begins to create a hunger in the life of the man. Even when the man wants to keep quiet, he cannot keep quiet. There is something troubling him to talk. Whenever the man wants to say, I will not do, God will not permit him. Even when the man says, ah, ah, what is all this thing? What is all this thing? God will not permit him. Somebody walked up to me and told me, say, Pastor, I will wake up in the night. I'm just praying. I wake up in the night. I'm just praying. So by the time I get up to work, I'm praying. I say, ah, God wants to use you. Whenever God begins to place a desire in the heart of a man, I tell you, get prepared. There's a revival about to break forth from your end. Whenever God wants to use a man, he begins to make the man uncomfortable. Everything that happens around him that is not godly, the man revolts against it. The Bible said, Jeremiah said, even if I say I will not speak of him, I cannot because his words are like fire. Shut up in my bones. From that scripture we read, Nehemiah asked of the Jews and inquired about Jerusalem. Nehemiah was absolutely in no mood for felicitations and exchange of pleasantries. He had no time for it. His heart was on fire. God was not allowing him rest. He wanted to know the state of affairs of his people and the city of God. He was deeply concerned about the condition and the, about the condition of the Jews who had survived the devastation and dastardly attack of the enemies. He passionately wanted to know what has become of them after the captivity. Did they survive the aftermath of the captivity? Was the trauma too much for them to bear? What about the holy city of Jerusalem? What is the condition of the city? Those were his concerns. He was not bothered about any other thing. He was not bothered about his own present condition. Oh God, I am okay. But I am concerned about my people. I may not be in regular contact with them, but I'm concerned about their life. So whenever God wants to use a man, he begins to put in the heart of the man a hunger, a thirst, a desire for change. Whenever God wants to use a man, he places upon the man a burden. Sometimes a burden that he feels he can't carry. Sometimes a burden that begins to weigh him down. A burden that keeps him awake when others are sleeping. A burden that makes him not to eat when others are eating. A burden that brings him to the altar every time he's crying. There is a burden. It's because God is set to use you. Is it possible that you are here? There is a steering of God in, on the inside of you. God has started working a work upon your life that you know some things are not just the way they used to be. God is about to use you. Whenever God begins to make a man uncomfortable with a system, 
Whenever God begins to make a man uncomfortable, we start to school. God is about to use you. So whenever you begin to feel the move of God upon your life, God is about to use you. Moses was already in Egypt. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Can we read Hebrews 11 verses 24 to 26? Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was enjoyment to be tagged the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was enjoying the pleasures in Egypt. Moses was enjoying all the things that were available in the palace of Egypt. But by the time he grew up, by the time God began to steer him, he began to be uncomfortable with those things. He began to feel uncomfortable with the things happening around him. Verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. And in verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead of his reward. Whenever God is calling a man, he's not particularly concerned about what's happening in the immediate. He looks at the ultimate. And I saw that in Nehemiah. The moment the people came, he began to ask, what is happening? How are my people? How is the city? What has become of the people? Are they okay? Are they nice? How far with their life? Did they survive? The ones that returned, what is their condition? Is there any room still available? I learned that the devastation burnt the whole houses. Is there any house still in Jerusalem? They said, oh God, nothing. Even the ones who returned, their condition is terrible. Now this was the information they gave him. Verse 3. And they said to him, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there. They are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burnt with fire. The man that God will use will stay with the Lord. Pant after God until deep insight, their information, definite instruction, and direct inspiration are released. Can I tell you that Nehemiah asked to know and it was said to him that what? The remnants who are left are in great affliction and reproach. The remnants who are left are in great affliction and reproach. Quickly, the, inqu the inquiry into the condition of Jerusalem and the Jews opened up a myriad of issues. Oh, it was thought that the people had escaped and were free. Maybe it would have been safe for Nehemiah to have concluded that the people have moved on and life has gradually become better. Their worst days were over. They had probably started finding a new course for their lives. But what was, but that was not to be. They had been plunged into a devastation that has refused to leave them. It is sad to know that even after the escape, God's people still were trapped in a web of affliction and reproach. They have just received 
high level devastation. They've just gone into exile. After the exile, one would have thought that things should start getting better. Things should start easing off. But that was not to be. From devastation, they were plunged into further devastation. From suffering, they were plunged into further suffering. I don't know whether that is your case. January, you will go through problem. February, the case is not any better. March, another level of problem. That is like the situation our people found themselves in. But there is hope today. Because the Lord God Almighty will stretch his hands upon your life. And he will deliver you from every great affliction and reproach in Jesus' name. Now, but the main issue of today's message is in the verse B. 3B of that Nehemiah chapter 1. I'd like us to look at it as we begin to settle the issue of today's message. You see, the Bible says the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. And the gates have been burned. The man that God will use must guide his walls and, and gates with passion and purpose. Can I be quick to remind you that every man, every woman has a wall. Every man has a gate. Everybody born of God has walls. Everybody have their own gates. If you were in church on Thursday during the Bible study, why God was dealing with us God began to call attention to various wars in our life. And the pastor threw it open and was asking us, what are the wars of our life? People were mentioning all manners of wars, what the wars represent. Some people said wars represent protection. Some people said wars represent defense. Some people said wars represent an object of security. Some people said wars represent an, an item of secrecy and privacy. Some people say whenever you have wars, then you are not afraid of the invasion of the enemy. Now, all these things are wars. But can you permit me? Can you permit me to put all these things together and tell you that the wars of your life are the consecrations you make over your life? Can you permit me this morning to put all these wars together and tell you that the wars of your life are the consecrations you make? I need to tell you. Nobody will be able to make heaven if you do not deliberately Make a consecration over your life. Lord, this is a wall I have created over my life. I will not break it. Let me tell you, as I look at the church, and as I look at the situation of the church, I see a lot of walls that have been broken down. I'm not talking about the walls of your physical protection. I'm not talking about the walls of your financial protection. I'm not talking about the walls of your psychological protection. I'm not talking about the walls of your business. I'm not talking about the walls of your workplace. I'm talking about the walls of your consecration. I'm talking about the walls of your early beginning. Those days when I started with God, I made a lot of wars over my life. A lot of terrible wars over my life. Some which I cannot say here. The kind of wars I created over my life, if I say it here, even you, you will say, Pastor, you went too far. I made some terrible wars. But I will say it. I made a lot of terrible wars. And I told myself, I will stand by these wars. Even to the day I die. I told myself, any day, even till tomorrow, that I still ten cobble, not hundred naira, not one thousand naira, not one million naira, not ten, not one billion naira. Any day I still ten cobble that is not my own, either in the past or in the future. Lord, kill me. 
And I was saying it after dealing with my wife. I told my wife, I'm, I'm my wife, you said amen, Abby. It's not only me that God will kill. God will also kill you. My wife said, eh. I said, not only them, even my children. Yes, you see, I, I was still saying, ah, pastor, you went too far, Abby. Sometimes I discovered one of the problems in the church is the problem of let us not create consecrations. I made consecration over my life. Some very terrible ones. I said, I will never in my life, anything that is not mine, I must turn my way, my eyes away from it. If it's not my money, it's not my money. Lord, if this will keep me from taking what is not mine, Lord, please let it be. And I was in the meeting and I was saying it. I said, Lord, kill me. Everybody, that's, that's everybody said amen. That's the church where I, I pastored before. And I said, my wife, the church kept quiet. And I said, the children, they said, no, pastor, no, pastor. And I turned to my wife. I said, my wife, may God keep me. My wife said, amen. She will soon come for second service. She's at the first service. Second service, she will hear it. I said, may God keep me. She said, amen. I said, kill you too. She said, amen. I said, kill the children. She said, amen. That is the degree to which my wife had seen me handle the issue of money. Many times, even when we didn't have 10 kobo in the house, I will see a strange money that I can't remember somebody giving us. I pack it, bring it to the church and put as offering. I have told myself, anything that will stop me, anything that will break my wall, I must stop it. You know, as a growing young man, I told myself, a terrible consecration. I said, any day I sleep with a woman that is not my wife, Lord, please, let me die on her. But after I said it, I told myself, ah, no, no, God, please allow me finish. Allow me finish. It will be very terrible for me after I have preached almost in every state apart from the north in Nigeria. And they will say, oh, pastor, on the, that will be my end. I said, God, please allow me finish. But Lord, please don't let me wake up the next morning. Take me home. Oh, that will not be take home. So I have prayed. So when I was growing up, anytime I fall sick, my mother will ask me, I told my mother, whenever I fall sick, mommy say, my son, did you? Any consecrations. So whenever I see what will make me fall, I run away. Whenever I see what will make me fail, I run away. But as I look at the church, I see a lot of walls that are broken down. I see a lot of words that are broken down. And we say it does not matter. Can I tell you, it matters. The Bible says, he that breaks the hedge, the serpent will come in and, uh, 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 and bite. So our walls are broken down. The walls of holiness are broken down. So we can even contest holiness on the altar. Because the walls of men have broken down. When a man is talking about holiness from the altar, we say, what are you talking about? Can't you be real? Can't you be rational? Can't you imagine it? It's not workable. We are talking about holiness. The walls of men are broken down. Can I tell you, the eye-catching wall of Jerusalem has broken down. That historic and iconic wall of about 4,018 meters in length broken down. An average height of 12 meters broken down. It's like the walls in the prison yard broken down. Now, the width of this wall, the thickness, is about eight feet plus. 
broken down. In short, horses used to ride on the wall. Broken down. Who could have broken down those walls? Who could have broken down those walls? I'd like to ask you, which walls of your life have been broken down? Which walls of your life have broken down? That today you no longer call it anything to commit sin. It no longer means anything to you to commit sin. Every man can enter into you and come out. Any woman can do anything with you and come out. Which walls have been broken down? In the office, you don't have any wall of consecration. You can sign anything, you can collect anything, and it doesn't matter to you. And you still come to church and you lift up your hand. Which walls of your life are broken down? You can go, you can tell people anything, you can lie, and you can say God understands. Which walls are broken down? As I look at the church, I remember the days of Ananias and Sapphira. When walls were intact, so that any man who breaks any wall, the Holy Spirit kills him in church. If we go back to those days, how many of us will remember for next week's Sunday service? People will be coming, dropping in the church, dropping in the church, dropping in the church, because the walls are broken. Even the walls on the, on the altar too, broken down. So anything happens. But my biggest tragedy is even if it were only the walls that were broken down, better for us. But the gates have been burnt. Jesus, you see, when we look at you this way, you are cold. We say, okay, maybe when we come this way, you may be hot. But when we turn this way, we discover you're even colder on this other side. The walls are not there. The gates have been broken down. Can we understand what the gates represents? The gates. Gates are, are representative points where men gain entrance and exit a place. They are well-placed avenues through which access is guaranteed. Unfortunately, many of us have become like the walls of Jerusalem. Our gates are no more. We have become broken down walls without gates. Everywhere has become porous. Free entry and free exits. Everything is allowed and no one to check the activities going on in our lives anymore. Can I tell us? The elders at the gates have gone to sleep and the gatekeepers have resigned to fate. Oh dear, where are the gatekeepers? I want to ask you, where are the gatekeepers of your life? Where are the gatekeepers of your life? When we were growing up, we began to raise gatekeepers that will watch over our life. If you are here, you don't have a gatekeeper over your life. I want to call you to a level of relationship with God. No man can survive in our time today without gatekeepers. Our gatekeepers have gone to sleep. The gatekeepers who should watch over the gates have gone to sleep. Eli went to sleep. Even when God was calling boy Samuel, Eli said, go and sleep because the gatekeeper is feeling asleep. Who is the gatekeeper over your life? I wrote down here, four gatekeepers that can help you. Four gatekeepers that can help you. The first one, accountability partners. I beg you in the name of Jesus from today, look for an accountability partner. From today, look for somebody you can tell your life and say, sister, I committed this offense. Sister, this is what is happening in my life. Don't cry alone. Don't suffer alone. Great men don't fall at once. They start falling gradually. The rope didn't just cut today. It has started pulling off little by little. But you say you can manage it. You can't manage it. Look for somebody you can commit to. Look for somebody you can share your life to. Look for somebody who you can commit your life to and be accountable to. Everybody needs an accountability partner. Everybody needs somebody you can tell your life and say, please help me, guide me. I don't want to make a shipwreck 
of my faith. Please, can I commit my life to your hand? Even as God watches over us, Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who is your accountability partner? Okay, you just do things anyhow. You just do things with, with reckless abandon and think there is nobody who can watch over your life. As I'm here, I have people who watch my back. Who can call me anytime I say, okay, what you have done is wrong. I say, okay, yes, sir. I have people who will call me and say, look, what you are doing right now, you are not getting it. I say, yes, sir. There must be somebody watching over your life. Who is your accountability partner? Look around. If you don't have an accountability partner, brother and sister, can I beg you, after today's meeting, go and look for an accountability partner. Somebody you can say, look, I want to submit to you. I want to submit to you. Please disciple my life. Please talk to me. Please, whenever you see me going wrong, call me to order. Everybody needs an accountability partner. Somebody you can wake up in the morning, the moment his phone, your phone rings, you see his name, you pick it. He says, I want to see you now. You say, okay, I'm coming. Somebody who will correct you and you will not be angry. Somebody who will talk to you, you will not be angry. Who is he that lives and nobody can talk to him? He's a dead man. Anybody who is living that nobody can talk to him from generation to generation, Genesis to Revelation, nobody can talk to him. He's a dead man. There must be somebody who can talk to you. Every pastor needs a pastor. Even the pastors need a pastor. Somebody who can pastor him and talk with him. Who is your accountability partner? Who is speaking to you? Who corrects you when you are wrong? Number two, we need brethren. Ah, we need brethren. If you read that scripture, you will discover that brethren came to help. The Bible says in verse 2 that Hanani and the other brethren, they came to Nehemiah. If you don't have brethren who can rally around you when you are in trouble, there is a problem. Remember when Apostle Paul was left for dead? It was brethren that came around him. It was brothers that came around him. Do you know if a man is sick here now, when he's sick, and even the kind of sickness is so that he's even bringing out something from the other side. It is his own brothers that will carry him at that other end. What brothers do for brothers, people else I can't do. You must find brothers who can stand by you, cry with you, laugh with you. Brothers who can look you to your face and say, no, this one, no, you didn't get it. No brothers who will tell you it is always well. It can't always be well. We had that on, on, on Wednesday during the Bible study. There are times where you have to look yourself eyeball to eyeball and talk like brothers and sisters and say, my brother, this one, you are wrong. Number three, not only do we need brothers, we need the church. One of the biggest problems of the church is that the church has left the church. And can I tell you, when the church disciplines a man and the man refuses to submit to the discipline of the church, that man is gone. When a man comes to the church and thinks he can do anyhow with the church, that man is a dead meat. Because the church is not just an, the church is not an institution. The church per se is the body of Christ. So in the body of Christ, things are not done anyhow. The best way to receive blessing is to submit to the church. People of God, how much are you connected to the church? You need the church. Number four. You need a discipler. You need a discipler. Ask your neighbor, who is your discipler? Ah, you don't even know what discipler is, Abby. 
Ask your neighbor again, who is your discipler? Who sits you down, opens the Bible, and shares the word of God with you? You don't have anybody. If you don't have anybody who opens the Bible to you, after today, run to somebody and say, please, the pastors are willing to open Bible with you. You sit down and they share the word to you. You need a disciple. You need somebody who can teach you the ways of the Lord beyond just coming to church. You need a disciple. In conclusion, the heart of this whole discussion is the burden that the situation leaves every one of us with. It is a call to pray. It is a call to plan. It is a call to persevere. And it is a call to pursue God's purpose for our lives. God is searching for you so that he can use you. Something must be done about this situation, I tell you. We must not let the deterioration go on unadmittedly. We must, like Nehemiah, sit down, weep, mourn, pray, and fast. To sit down is not easy. But I need you to sit down. I need you to stop running up and down, looking, chasing shadows. The man God we use does not run up and down, chasing shadows. Sit down. When you sit down, God speaks. The Bible says, the Lord told them, make them to lie down. The Bible says, the Lord made me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Sit down. And as you sit down, weep. When you see a man weep, it's a serious matter. Have you seen a man just staying, weeping, crying? It's a serious matter. God is saying, Nehemiah did not only weep, he mourned for days. Mourning is a representation of one who has lost something or lost someone. For Nehemiah, my people have died. How I wish you can look at your broken walls. You can look at your gates. Look at the places where you messed up and begin to weep this morning. How I wish you can look at your gates that have been burnt, your consecrations that you have de destroyed and weep this morning. Can you translate it to prayer? And can you push it further in the place of fasting? If you can do that, four things you can take home. Number one, please be passionate in your concern. Nehemiah was passionate. When the people came, that was what concerned him, the people. Be passionate in your concern. Not only are you expected to be passionate in your concern, please I beg you, be patient in listening. Some people have things to tell you. Please patiently listen to them. They have something they need you to hear. Patiently listen to them. Nehemiah patiently listened to them even with the fire in his bones. There is a revival that is breaking forth in the Koi Baptist Church. Can somebody be patient to listen? Can somebody just be quiet in his spirit to say, God, what are you about to do? Lord, can I stop talking as an orator? Lord, can I stop gesticulating? Can I stop making my own contribution? Can I just be patient to listen to what you want to do? Any man who is talking over God cannot get the best of God. Can we just be patient? 
to listen to God. Ah, God is the owner of this church. God is the owner of his church. Can I, as an individual, be the assistant Holy Ghost? I cannot. I must be patient to hear what God is saying. Otherwise, my walls will remain broken. Because only God can mend the walls. So I must patiently listen to him. And number three, we must be powerful in prayer. We must be powerful in prayer. Everything is at the response of prayer. And finally, be purposeful in our action. Can you buy your hands? Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed. Ikoi Baptist Church is a Bible-believing church located at 5-7 Latif Jakande Road in Ikoi of Lagos State, Nigeria. You can find us on Facebook at Ikoi Baptist Church or reach the church directly via phone at 0163-20485 and 0163-20486. For more information, please visit the church website at www.ikoibaptistchurch.org.